You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust. Connected to the land, committed to conservation. sound that you're going to be greeted with when you walk into backcountry and beyond here in Salisbury, North Carolina. Our friend Jeff and DeWitt and Jeremy. They're going to give you a standing ovation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, seriously, they're going to treat you right. You're drinking on something right now. What you drinking on? I'm, I'm drinking on the beyond portion of backcountry and beyond. I'm drinking Black Rifle Coffee's espresso with cream cold canned coffee. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome and really the only place you can get it backcountry beyond yeah and i mean why would you get it anywhere else when you can go there and get outdoor gear like a quiet cat or a stand-up paddleboard new pair of coasters marshware uh i mean any bio light lineup uh-huh. everything they got yeah these Traeger, are eager they got it all and these are all things that we like we love here Fit at three rivers land trust oh yeah so go check them out they're at the intersection of Innis Street and I-85 here in Salisbury, and you can go to backcountryandbeyond.com to check them out online. So I'll tell you something funny, Sam. You know, we got Nikki yeah. working here now. I'm still setting up this thing. Mm-hmm. Where's Nikki at? I don't know. She's just too, too busy. <laughs> We're all too busy. <laughs> I'm just giving her I'm just giving her heck because she told me she listened to like five hours yeah. of our podcast. So I think she's tired of talking to us she's tired us. of hearing our voices yeah. yeah i'm tired of hearing my own voice sometimes i agree but uh, we appreciate you listeners for bearing with it yeah to, uh let's talk about our burn that we had last week on yeah. a friday by the way which i so that's good you point that out i have always said ran i don't do i don't like doing any big projects on fridays <laughs> like starting and we'll, we can even maybe transfer this over into your business too but like starting with a new client for example meeting on a friday is just never good like starting a starting a big new project on a friday something goes wrong and you wind up working late or working a weekend or saturday morning yeah yep. it's some, it's always some crap saturday morning that's applicable to our burn yeah we uh we burn i, I try to never burn on fridays but this year given the weather we didn't have much choices, so we had a decent burn day on Friday, and we had this block we needed to get done. It was a um, longleaf savanna that we had uh, we had done some some site prep work there to get it ready to plant some more longleaf, some baby longleaf, and it needed a prescribed burn on it. We'd already burned half of it, but we burned what I, the bigger half, but I would call it the easier half. It had an easier fuel load, better fire breaks, and less hazards around. Gotcha. This place we are burning Friday had a house, like, right next door and had a lot of flammable material in the yard. It had some long leaf in the yard, dead When's grass. the last time this was burned? It's only ever been burned once before, ever, and that was probably five years ago. Yeah. Um, so, and, and with long leaf, if you're a North Carolina native, you, you probably know or you've heard us talk about it. Uh, longleaf needs fire for a lot of reasons, but one's to reduce the fuel loads out there. And with this place never being burned, it had built up this organic layer of soil, like the top, I would say, three inches at least. Yeah, in places. 
and it, it looked just, like uh, it looked like peat moss. Yeah, you know, it was weird, nice. very odd, spongy, yeah. spongy. Mm-hmm. I would, if you were going to give it a an adjective, I'd yeah. call it the spongy stuff. So this is like you know you've got your sand, then you've got this organic layer, then you've got your needle cast and your you your know duff. slash and your and your duff, and then a lot of you know they did site prep on some hardwood limbs. Yeah, so all the oaks that are out there, and these aren't aren't like white oaks like like we're from the you're from High Point and we're from up this way, so we're thinking like oaks, big. We're talking scrub oak yeah. down here. Um, but all the, those have been sprayed, and so they're dead. And so they're just like these dead trees sticking up that are extremely flammable. <laughs> and a couple of issues with this bird, there's there's types of fuel on a burn, and we've talked about this, and I'm not going to go away into detail, but there's flashy fuels. So like your grasses, your brown grasses, your warm season grasses this time of year, they go up really fast like gunpowder, and they make a big flashy scene, and then they're out because they don't burn very long. But they're super scary when you got a whole bunch of them and the fire gets, you know, 10, 12 feet tall right up against the line. And you've got super flammable materials on the other side of the line. And then there's a house right there. So we were having issues on Friday. We didn't have any issues, but it was was one of those times where I expected an issue to happen. And wound up having to work Saturday and and had one of our crew members go back Sunday. And so we were spending all weekend keeping an eye on that thing after it was out. One thing that we... You know, we talk about, I guess we didn't talk about on our, like, prescribed fire podcast, but one of Cody's rules is, you know, we're always in communication on the radios. Right. Um, but stay, even if something's going bad, just be like, hey, this is happening. Come on over quickly, please. Um, but, you know, freaking out's never good. But we've worked so much together that we can kind of, like, hear each other's voice, you know? <laughs> And you know when it's like when it's going down, yeah, you're smooth sailing, and when like you know things are sketchy, and things I could hear it in Cody's voice on his side because he had a he had a rough side, and my side, I mean, like Cody said, I had flashy fuels all on my fire line, so I'm putting fire down, and it's going up ten feet right off the line. I mean, just right in my face, hot. So we could hear in each other's voices that the entire four hours that we were burning, it was there was never any like. Relaxed, yeah. Relaxed chat by by yeah, any means. Yeah. Um, it was all it was all serious, serious voice. But the reason I brought up Saturday, and I'm glad you brought up Saturday, is it was like one of those things where we burned Friday. It it went okay, everything went fine. But Cody gave one look at it and was like, "I'm gonna have to come back <laughs> on my weekend. I'm gonna have to come yeah, back." Yeah. And the other interesting thing, and why Cody brought it up, was that organic material. Like, we couldn't do anything to put it out. You could put water on it. Yeah. You could put sand on it. And it's just slowly moving. The fire's just creeping through. The, and, it's, and there's it's, no flame. It's just smoldering, just smoke. Right. Like, no flame. So that was on that was on Friday that we burned it. Today is Monday. I guarantee you. Still smoking. It's still smoking. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it's just creeping across the landscape. Very weird. Yeah. Very, very weird. And what made it, what made it sketchy, other than the neighboring properties and all the fuel on those properties was low low humidity it was like right now i think it's only 20 percent humidity outside but that day it got down to 16 percent. so basically dry air um high winds and and low humidity make and for variable a, winds make for an unstable atmosphere and super crazy fire conditions yeah <laughs> when we talked on that one podcast about like the controlled aspect of a burn is your backing fire you know, it's going into the block, it's eating against the wind, and you can control it that way. The weather helps you control it. When the wind is blowing hard and really variable, you know, it was predominantly out of the north, but then it would shift completely out of the east 
or completely out of the west and it would be blowing at 18 miles an hour you lose a little bit of that control um and that's kind of hence the hence the stressed undertones yeah, in our communication yeah. throughout the day yeah it, it was a good burn it went good everything turned out exactly like it was supposed to how so. much did y'all burn that is actually oh, man, it sounds yeah. it sounds small but it was only 10 acres um total the two blocks cumulative were about 56 yeah but it's a and it and it was a perfect rectangle it's not like there was like a real sketchy dog leg or anything in it, it you know it was a perfect yeah. rectangle it's just um the fuel load and the, the weather when the weather does with that you know it doesn't matter yeah. you know it really doesn't matter it, it's like i told sam i've told him before, we've talked about it before it doesn't matter if it's a 10 acre burn or a 200 acre burn it takes the same amount of time it right. seems like right just prep uh, yeah just prep and and mopping it up after it's over and uh, i mean miles walked yeah it's always the same uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense no it really doesn't we uh and funny you ask our next burn is 140 yeah 140 acres wow. and i think we're both less concerned yeah i'm i'm not super worried i'm gonna have a few more people just extra it's eyes big, bigger but, but yeah yeah it's it's there's no neighbors with houses i'm worried about burning down and there's going to be good lines on it and it's the normal kind of stuff that i'm i like to burn which is in stand in the woods burning not you know basically cut over right, <laughs> right. so <laughs> but anyways things coming up with the land trust now that we're done with that um coming up on sunday this sunday which is god I, my days are all messed up what day is today the Today's eighth? the eighth, and this this podcast is actually going to drop after, so we will have shot this tournament afterwards. Okay, good, um, good. But we this Sunday coming up, and I think we've promoted it on our Facebook and all that stuff, so we hope you've seen it. But is our archery tournament? Yeah. So if you're hearing this, it already happened. Uh-huh. You missed yep. it. But um, our guest today is Ren Lackey. He's a financial advisor out of High Point, North Carolina, and a friend of the Land Trust. And uh, we coincidentally met at the first archery shoot that we did and um so today's episode is going to be a little bit more about archery and financial advisement and how to stick it to the man <laughs> and how to <laughs> <pun>. <laughs> like that arrow pun there yeah so a lot of uh a lot of interesting stuff that we want to talk about but any uh any introduction that you want to add for yourself Ren? just uh avid outdoorsman uh been in the industry now for almost 14 years here in high point um just down the road from where y'all are located yeah um but you know always open to help and get outdoors and so love both of them pro staff you're a pro staff member yep shoot shooting for fuel outdoor gear there in archdale okay nice that's awesome yeah we'll probably talk about that a little bit more in a bit all right well let's uh let's get into it then what do you want to start with cody so you may you may be thinking you may be thinking like why why have a financial advisor what how does that how is that applicable to an outdoor podcast or a conservation podcast it's extremely it's applicable to everyone i think everyone's life we you may have even heard the commercial we did on here which was kind of maybe a bit cheesy at the time but we did a commercial for a bank once and we talked about you know a quality adventure starts with a quality plan well the same goes for your life and a quality financial plan and that was actually what we said in the commercial so that's why we've we've got ren here because sam and i are probably the last people to give financial advice or or even recommendations to mm-hmm. i mean we're going to be taking advice here and we felt like maybe our listeners might be in the same boat because i feel like a lot of us are similar and that maybe we put those things on the side burner or the back burner yeah 
um, I, you know, I try to think about the here and now, and I don't necessarily plan for the future as much as I probably should financially. I mean, I've tried, but I think that all outdoorsmen are kind of like, well, you know what? I need a new boat. <laughs> and my kids need to eat. A little nearsighted. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I've, I've, I've still got a job, yeah. so we'll worry about that when we get to it. Yeah. Right? So and you probably deal with these people all the time. Yeah. I mean, you deal with guys like me regularly, I'm sure. And there's also, I mean, beyond just personal how it affects me and the outdoorsmen in our area, it also, I mean, there's so many elements of our job and conservation in general and easements and land transactions and land as an investment strategy um so it's not only going to tie into you as an individual but kind of as a whole package of what conservation is because conservation and finance go go hand in hand everything everything yeah needs money yeah. everything takes money mm-hmm. money is the driver of the world i mean that's just how it is mm-hmm. so i guess it's also the root of all evil mm-hmm. but <laughs> the love of money is the root of all evil that's what the bible says mm-hmm. so just don't love it. You can like it. Yeah. Don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyways, yeah, let's uh, let's just dive in. So, Ren, we were asking you questions before the podcast that we probably should have just held up on. But we were, we were all sitting around. We always try to kind of plan for how it's going to go. And so some of this may be may sound like it's rehearsed, but it's not. We, we just asked some questions up front because we want to know what's what's legal to ask, what's okay, and what's not. And so keep in mind that none of this – if you if you're looking for financial advice, keep in mind that this is just these are just the theories that we're throwing out. You need to contact your personal financial advisor or find one, and and get comfortable with that person, and then take advice, legal advice and that type of thing from them. Yeah, good good point. I, I was going to say that before yeah. you even got to it. So, I mean, a lot of what we talk about today is general, you know, kind of bird's eye view to some extent. Um, but just make sure you find somebody you can trust. You know, that's got your best interest. At, you know your trusted contact, your person that you're comfortable with, that you can develop that strategy, you know, and and don't go in for a cookie cutter experience. Make sure they're tailoring their experience. Your experience is good. Mm -hmm. You'll make sure. Yep. So I'm going to start off with something super stupid. Go ahead. Stupid. So how do you feel about the movie Wolf of Wall Street? That's not everyday life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You guys aren't, you guys aren't, uh, aren't wrecking, uh, uh, Lamborghinis no, and, and stuff no, like that. No, okay, no, okay. No. Well, I feel like if I was a financial, he's shooting bows just like you. That's a very so Hollywood. If I, approach, yeah. <laughs> if I was a, if I was a financial advisor, that'd be that'd be like my movie of choice. And <laughs> like, I guess my movie of choice right now is like Jeremiah Johnson or something. But we quote we quote Wolf of Wall Street even oh. on this show like sneak, oh, yeah. sneakily all the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, all right. I'll start off with something serious. Um, when you've got a client that'll walk in the door, we'll talk the individual side before the organizational side and conservation as a whole. But as a just an individual walking in, you're meeting with a new client, they call you up, they say, hey, I want to have a discussion with you. Where does that conversation begin? Like, where what are, what are the goals of that first meeting? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of it dives into the individual as a person, family, you know, kind of wherever they start, um, you know, kind of what their financial plan is in general. Um, but I, you know, a lot of what we do, what I do is, Hey, you know, client, John, whoever that may be, where do you see retirement? You know, at what point do you, is it 50? Is it 55? You know, what's that retirement picture look like? Is it on a boat at the beach? You can go out and fish when you want to, or, 
hey, I want to be in the city and not have to worry about anything? Or is it you want to sip your coffee on your 100-acre farm that you host events on? Or what does that look like? Mm -hmm. It's it's different for every client. And and that's what I like is being able to tailor a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, you're just you're just investing. There's no, there's no purpose. Um, and then you know it goes from retirement to estate planning. And so the estate planning side, do you want to leave money to kids? Do you want to leave some kind of legacy from a charity standpoint? Um, you got to think about all these things starting out. Whether you're 20, 25, if you're 40 and never thought about it it's important to have that conversation with that financial advisor of, you know, so do you get something documented? If it's not documented, that goal, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. That's a good point. And you asked this earlier, Sam, but I'll just throw it out again for sake of recording and for the listener. So what's, uh, when a client comes in, is there, there's no time too early, right? To start planning this stuff. No. Age wise. Yeah. So how I was, I was telling y'all earlier before we, you know, it's always the best conversations right before yeah. you record, yeah. always. Um, but so I had a conversation with a 12 year old. He takes his savings and we, we buy some stock with it. Um, you know, I had that same conversation with a 40 year old that comes in and said, Hey, I, I, what do I need to do? I'm behind the eight ball of kind of getting towards retirement. Um, your biggest, it, you know, that biggest part of any plan is time. You know, we can't get more of it. You can't make it. It's, it's so getting started early and, and focusing in on what that needs to look like. And so that's where working kind of backwards from your goal. If you say, hey, Ren, you know, I'm comfortable with, at this number at 55. We may not have to go out and, and stretch those investments or, or look outside the box. You may be perfectly in line. You just don't know it. Mm-hmm. But if you've not had that conversation with an advisor or somebody that you can go to, you just don't know. Um, it, but vice versa, you may come in and go, hey, this is this is what my retirement picture looks like. And we go, we need to kind of refocus. Let's, let's back up and figure out where things are. Um, but I'll tell you, a lot of it starts with a budget. You know, 90% of my clients that come in that we kind of had that first talk with is understanding where you are right now. Because if you don't know kind of where those dollars are going or yep. where you're mm-hmm. focusing on attention, it, it'll get away from you, you know? Does it get, like in that first meeting, does it get so down to the nitty gritty in that budget where you're like, look, you've got this much going into subscriptions to things yep. and you just need to oh, cut so it back. Does, First meeting, that, that could potentially be how it goes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, the, the more detailed a plan is, the more you can follow and make adjustments as needed. So uh-huh. if you come in and say, hey, Ren, I think I spend about four thousand dollars a month. Uh-huh. Well, that's great. We can kind of plan on that, but is it really four thousand, or do you have five thousand going out because you have a thousand dollars of Amazon? And mm. yeah. if you're like me, and you're stopping at the convenience store yeah. And, yeah. and getting a can of dip and a and a or, pack yeah. of smokes every yeah. other day, <laughs> got six six, you know, Disney Plus, Netflix, you name it for the kids. And yeah, all of a sudden there's two three hundred bucks going out. I heard that. Yeah, it's cell phone bill burning a hole in your pocket. You <laughs> know, it's just exactly. It's, it's all about the little things that you, you may not even think about. Um, you know, it's, it, it's having that conversation. It can really open some eyes. But I, I'll tell you the biggest thing for clients coming in is it's almost a weight off your shoulders to know that, hey, I've got somebody on my team mm. that, that's looking out for me, knows my situation, 
and I can trust them. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, you know, that's huge. That is a big, yeah. So, so if you're managing a client and so they've, they've, they've entrusted you to manage their, their finances in a way that they're investing for whatever their plan may be. And you've sat down with them and looked at the day-to-day expenditures and said, okay, here's what, what you can spend, what you can't spend if you want to meet this goal. Right. Um, now granted, do what you want, but this is what I recommend if you want to be here. Um, how many times are folks calling you, like texting you during the week being like, look, something came up, I got a big purchase or I want to buy this. How's that going to affect my yep. portfolio? That's a good question. Um, more than you think, um, you know, there's becoming a client you know, my office or within our industry, you know, a lot of times you almost become family. Yeah. Well, that's what I was getting at. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I mean, whether it's a client called me from the car dealership and I'm like, Hey, she can't do this. We need to work out a better deal. Or if it's just, Hey, Ren, I'm thinking I want to buy some land or, you know, Hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking getting towards. And we kind of crunch the numbers and it's not always that it won't work. It's just that we've, we're readjusting our plan because we've had it in place things happen the unexpected Mm -hmm. health concerns family member changes you know job changes that's a big one you know income old 401ks those situations but it's being able to go okay i've got the plan here's what's changed and you're able to add that in there versus going well i think i'm making more than i was last year or i think this is a good investment because i yeah, I think I'm spending four thousand a month, but it's really, you mm-hmm. know, just, mm-hmm. it's eye opening. Sure, yeah. Uh, my wife and I sat down a month or two ago and said, "Okay, what are we? What are we buying? Everything." I'm talking about dog, dealing with like dog food, vet visits, yep. dollar for dollar, everything. And you know, it came up to more than I expected going out, <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, okay, we we both were like some of these things got to go and some of them need to stay and some of them have to stay. Right. But together we, we both felt like this was something that we should do every so often because like you said, those things change. Um, and as someone who wants to retire as early as possible, yeah, yeah. I definitely <laughs> want to make that happen. Did you have anybody call in in the last few months, weeks and be like, look, I just put a mortgage on the house. Let's put it in. Let's put it all in on GameStop. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, because uh, you know G- GameStop such a that was such a crazy friendly. Um, you know, I would I would kind of venture out to say you know from a from an investment wise you know there's there's your your day traders and then there's more of your financial advisors that are the big picture. Um, and so a lot of what we do is that the bigger picture side you know, from a budget to life insurance to 401k. So we do the kind of the full, full spectrum of it, you know, and it, when it gets down to, I guess, getting caught up in a frenzy. Yeah. You know, that's not always good advice. No. Um, you <laughs> no, know, whether it's no. good, bad, or different. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask about, I was actually going to ask that question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't usually talk current events, but um, since we had you on, got to. Yeah. I've got a buddy who, like, he's got some app. I'm sure it's E-Trade or something. Robin Hood, maybe. And, and he's, and, and like, the GameStop thing. You mm-hmm. know? He's, he's dedicated a couple hundred bucks a day to day trading. And he, he does well doing it, I believe, from what he says. And I'm just, I have no idea where to even begin on something like that, nor would I. You know, it kind of comes to what you said earlier 
and probably the people listening to this show are similar to us where I've got hobbies. I've got too many hobbies. And I'm assuming a lot of people listening probably have too many hobbies. And that can't be another thing that I add to my plate. Like the stress that I know that people that are day trading that are like really into it are going through on a day to day to day basis of like looking at the looking at the market and being like, oh, I need to get in or get out or buy the dip or whatever. You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's like a full-time job. I've got a hobby losing money duck hunting. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> archery equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So I think we're going to stick to the the life investment stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got I've got one on, go on that. It. So when it comes to creating a portfolio or kind of having this life plan, um, do you – you kind of sounds like you talk about everything from budget down to investments – is there a lot of talk about diversification of that portfolio? Because, I mean, now we can start getting into the conservation side of things. And land is a pretty good investment, sound investment. They're not making any more of it. Yep. Um, so is that something that you talk about as well? If that's part of somebody's life goals is, you know, to buy land or have a piece for themselves or maybe even buy land, sit on it, sell it for, you know, when it get, becomes yep. more valuable. Is that something you all discuss as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's across, across the board, whether it's um, – you know, stocks and mutual funds to land in general, um, real estate. It, you know, there's there's no one thing that is the you know I, I air quotation marks golden nugget kind of deal mm-hmm. for retirement. Uh, the the keys being diversified. I mean, nail on the head, like you said, it's just it's having different things that are going to get you to that goal. So I mean, not one thing is going to do good all the time. Yeah. Some things do really good all the time, but not every time. And, and they're so, not as lucrative. Right. It, mm, yeah. And, yeah sure. and so, you know, just because it's not the, the, the cool thing to talk about at the, the water hole or, you know, at dinner, you're like, yeah, man, I just bought some XYZ stock. And they're like, I don't even know who that is. Mm-hmm. But it may be a sound investment. It's just not necessarily the kind of headliner, uh, you know, option. But, yeah, so we go through – from budget to investments to inch, I mean, the full spectrum, because if you've not had that conversation, you can't account for it. Yeah. Right. And it's, it goes back to that plan and your goal and, and having something documented. When a guy, when a guy like me comes to you, I'm going to say, okay, I've got a mortgage. I've got a truck payment. I've got one dependent and I'm married and I own X amount of acres. I want to add to that acreage at some point. I want to retire when I'm 55. I'm a blue collar worker, so that's my income. I'm in the blue collar range. I don't give a crap where you invest it. I'm a high risk type guy. So when I talk to my advisor, they're like, okay, there's low risk, there's medium risk, there's high risk. Right. I don't know where any of my money's at. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. Don't ever look at the statements because they told me specifically not to because when I first started getting my statements back i look at them i'm like damn i'm losing money yeah like i'm there's there's less here than i gave you right right and i was calling about it and i was like you know hey i gave you a thousand bucks why i got 500 or you know whatever you know that's just an example and they're like well this is a long-term thing you invested high risk so can you explain what that means like for a guy like me coming to you and and you give me the options of and that may not be how you do it but that was how it was presented to me basically no yeah i mean that's good point so just like with you know everything out there there are different types of investors um you know whether you're young middle-aged you know maybe getting into investing a little later 
everybody has their own kind of appetite for tolerant risk. You know, what that volatility in the market, whether it's up a day, down a day, what that is to you. It, it may not be the same to both of you. Probably not. Yeah. It, and so it's all about making sure your risk tolerance, kind of where you fall in that spectrum, matches up with what you're comfortable with. Because if you're not comfortable, you're never going to get to your goal, right? And so we want to make sure, I mean, I've been doing this long enough. I could talk to you for a little while and kind of figure out, hey, I about know where you're going to be comfortable, comfort-wise. But being able to document it and kind of get something in that plan that helps us get to the goal without us jeopardizing. Because if the market goes down for two or three days and we, we sell. And then my statement comes to my right, house. Yeah. Right, and you sell, then you've lost. Right. So we want to make sure that you're comfortable if it drops a little bit, that we're not going to lose sight of what that long term goal is. It's, you know, it's having that long term view. For so, sure. so if I started, so if I came to you at 25 years old and I've got all the things I talked about and I say I want to put 50 bucks a month towards this retirement plan, whether it's and we'll, I definitely want to talk about the different types, 401ks, IRAs, all that stuff. But. So I say I want to put 50 bucks a month in one of these plans and 50 bucks a month in, in another one. They're both high risk. And then I have no idea, like, you're my guy, right? You're right, picking right. where yeah. it's going and what's what's happening. So how, how does that work? Like, like are you sitting there just looking, saying, well, I think his money would be best spent buying something here, buying some stock here? Is that, I mean, I have no idea what happens. Yeah, so, I mean – you know, keep it very bird's eye because with everybody it's different. Right. I mean, you know, and don't, and I'm pleased. I mean, make sure you're talking to somebody because this is all pretty general. I mean, it's not, this is not going to fit everybody that listens, but if, you know, if you come to me and it's, you know, 50 to 100 bucks, it, it depends on kind of where that goal horizon in. Hey, 55, you want to, you want to be retired and own some more land. We may look at some stocks to put in the portfolio. But we all may switch gears and go to mutual funds. Yep. That, I wanted to ask about that too. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and so mutual funds are going to kind of give you a little more risk management, typically. Sure. Um, but it, it's all based on what you want that to be. I mean, because your biggest aspect is time, is getting started early and having that conversation with your financial advisor. Do you recommend as you as you age? increasing that amount that you're putting in every month is that i mean that's what i've always heard is like if you're young and you can't spare much money because you're in a lower end job and you haven't worked your way up the the job market yet you know you start out with 25 50 bucks a month and then when you've gotten a raise you obviously bump your investment up is that is that standard advice yeah yeah i mean because it, it's all relative to what you're bringing home right and you know i i know it sounds like we're kind of going in circles but it's if you know if you know what you're spending yep. you know you can kind of judge that um, a lot of times when you're starting a new career, starting a new company, get a pay raise. If you've got that plan in place, and let's say you get a $5,000 kind of bonus for the year. Okay. That's $5,000 that you're not used to living on, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe you figure out where the difference is. Okay, Sounds hey. Sounds like a new bow, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get in. Is that a part of the plan? Yeah. It's always <laughs> part of the plan. <laughs> I'm penciled in at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but maybe Ren was trying to talk talk Cody into like, hey man, maybe I could be your, you know, maybe I should be your guy. But now after hearing Cody talk about boats and stuff, he's like, I'd never mind. No, no, it's good. like that commercial. I thought we, I thought we broke through with the, with the with the Volkswagen, bro. We did. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure I want you as a client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm horrible. But, but maybe maybe you split that and and put part of it in a retirement plan where you get some tax benefits from it. Um, you know, drops your income a little bit tax benefit wise and and maybe part of that goes towards savings kids land purchase down the road kind of creates you a little slush fund if you want yep. land so okay those, yeah. what's a uh so say somebody does get that five thousand and i know this is all relative to everybody's pl- everybody's individual but two questions first question you know what's an average percentage of income that people are dedicating to retirement investment what's an average percentage of your income that would folks would do like a regular, regular folks. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'd kind of bounce that around. I mean, it's, it's somewhat relative to, to the person, mm-hmm. you know, and what those goals are. And how, how meager or extravagant they live their yeah. life right now. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Uh, you know, does your company match their retirement plan? If so, I mean, you need to be getting that full match. If, mm-hmm. if you're not, if you're not getting the full match, you're leaving free money on the table. Yeah. That's an excellent statement. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a company where that's happening take that advice for yep. sure yep um my other dang did i lose it i was just thinking like you, you threw me off with a good answer <laughs> phones are ringing off the hook yep. things are happening yep things are happening um i asked about the percentage oh you get the five thousand dollar pay raise bonus that you're not used to living on and what if i call you and say hey you're right i'm not used to living on this i'm not going to buy a new bow right now i'm, I'm set for the year i got a new matthews i want to put this somewhere is that some that's something that people do regularly? Uh, yes. Yep. When they put that somewhere, I'm assuming it's it's hands off for a while. Like if I decided tomorrow I need two thousand of that five thousand, I can't come back and grab it without a penalty. Yes and no. And so it depends on the account you put it in. Um, depending on the tax rules. Um, there are accounts out there and you know, your advisors will know what those account types are. It, What's your time horizon? Hey, I've got this extra money, but I know in two to three years we're trying to downsize or, you know, add a bonus room onto the garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, you know, hey, we know we've got a 14-year-old kid that's going to need a car in two years. Yep. Right? So, and then college. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but, but so it's, it's about what the money's for as to where it should be invested. Um, you know, time horizon and then, and then your cost. Right, you always want to know what your cost is from an investment, and and kind of on your annual wise, and if it's transactional based. I think the easy or like the theme here is time, and yeah, that's definitely you know you're you're sitting here. We're both young. I'm not as young. We're not, neither of us are as young as we used to be. Your birthday nope. was Saturday. Yep. Saturday. Yep. Mine was Wednesday. Yep. Twenty eight years old. Mm. Anyways, so. I think, again, it, there's two things that I'm taking away. One, people like you and I, this isn't our area of expertise, and it's not really my, how my mind works in general. Anybody listening of, can tell you right yeah. now, it's not <laughs> my yeah. area. Um, you know, I'm I'm very much so in the moment and um, dealing with my, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 20s. You know, I'm just like thinking long term is just not really in my strong sense, and I'm aware of that. Um, but I do realize that, the investments that I make now 
compared to me waiting in 10, 15 years and then doing it, I've missed out on growth. I, I mean, now is the time. Oh, no matter what age you are, now is the time because you're only you're losing money. You're leaving money on the table by not investing and, and being wise with it. Um, and I think that's I mean that's the takeaway. I'm sitting here I like this. Kind of got me stressed out a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm moderately stressed <laughs> thinking about this. Also, well, I mean, time, time is probably your biggest thing. And so you know, if you're sitting here listening and you're going, okay, maybe I need to, you know, do two things. Don't be afraid to find somebody local. Mm-hmm. and go ask them questions the other part is find somebody that you look up to hey it may be somebody at church yeah that you hunt with it may be somebody at work that you you That's just say point. hey yep. they've got their head on right ask them who they who they use get that introduction right because then you can feel more comfortable going to them for the first time they've introduced themselves to you and and go to somebody that's going to sit down and listen to what you want and, and create that experience for you starting out. Um, yeah. It's interesting because there's, you know, over time and, and all these different mentors, you have like your hunting mentor, the person that, that taught you all these outdoor yeah, skills. That this we is love. a good segue. Way to go. And solid, solid. I look at people um, that maybe aren't like a hunting mentor by any means, but they're a, like somebody that I admire for their wisdom and, you know, you for can what t- they've accomplished in their short amount of years yeah and a hundred percent and you can always see those people that just have that financial proclivity um and and you can always tell them so maybe you know the person that you admire because they can go shoot a big old buck isn't the same person that you're like oh but i admire this person usually usually not gonna be the same dude yeah but this is my mentor you know maybe that's not the person to go see maybe it's the you know maybe it's somebody that you've never used as a mentor before but you admire them for this certain skill set. Right. Um, so that's kind of the point. Do you have something before I transition a little bit? I think, well, and I will, I will ask this in a, in the nicest way possible without like pointing fingers to me. No, 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 no. <laughs> or Ren. There's nothing, nobody at this table. Um, just, I think as, uh, especially as sportsmen and people who admire gear and the outdoors, it's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses type stuff. And there's new stuff coming out all the time. And so there's always money to be spent on stuff, especially if you like the outdoors, because right. there's just so much stuff and you got hobbies that are expensive and yep. you need quality stuff. But it's uh, the having that mentor that uses the same stuff for a few more years. <laughs> and and they're, they're middle-aged and they're not swimming in debt. Like you can look up to the guy that's got a, you know, $80,000 truck and a $90,000 bass boat, but it could be that he's so deep in debt that right. he's not necessarily who you want to look up to because when it comes time for him to retire, he's going to have a problem. He's been living retirement, man. Right. He's, yeah, month to month. And so, yeah, yeah that same, you're, I mean, perfect, perfect example. I mean, that just because somebody's driving nice things does not mean that they are making good decisions um yep. you know it's the it's the guy that's driving the you know six seven year old truck just just using what he's got he's but he's probably got a plan you don't know it because he's probably not the one to tell you but he's got stuff set up to where when he's ready to retire he can do it at any point and it's all relative to what your retirement looks like hey if you don't want to live an extravagant lifestyle you don't need you may not need the same as your coworker that wants to have that extravagant retirement be able to 
you know, hunt all 50 states or, mm-hmm. you know, get tags every time they want to, but it's relative. And so time and having a plan are two biggest aspects. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking about people that I know from my hometown. Um, and I, there's these individuals and I know every single person listening and everybody around this table knows of them, um, and thinks about them often where it's somebody who lives just super modestly and they're humble and they're quiet but you get to learn a little bit more about them and know a little bit more about them. And you're like, this person, this single story person in this house driving that beat up pickup truck is really well off. Right. But you know, and that's, I think that's somebody that that kind of mentality is something that I've always looked up to as well is just, you know, you don't need, even with, even with, uh, hunting. I mean, we can tie it back to that, you know, somebody who has success, but isn't having wearing the finest, things to possibly wear and using the top of the line bow and getting the new one every single year they're just a good outdoorsman you know and i think on this podcast we've always pushed it the other direction just a bit i mean the new stuff the cool stuff and that's fine and i think there's a great line to walk between having things you want and and not just going crazy yeah and living Mm -hmm. just off the edge because i'm 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 kind of middle of the road i don't need the nicest of the nice yeah. But I'm also not going to buy garbage. Right. And I'm also not going to have garbage. I'm going to I'm young I'm young enough now that I can enjoy that stuff whereas mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen when I retire. Yeah. I may be in a yeah. wheelchair. Yeah. You know, 100%. I may I may something bad could happen. I could get, you know, cancer or whatever. So uh, to an extent I like living a little bit in the now, but I definitely right. want to mm-hmm. plan for the future. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so I don't think there, I think there's a good medium, a happy medium. I'm going to transition a little bit to and this is again, this becomes a little bit more of like a CPA conversation in terms of estate planning and tax benefits and stuff. But that's something I, I do want to bring up kind of since we're talking about finances and I want to connect it to the land trust and conservation in general. Um, so I've got a list of things. Ren, hop in as you as you see fit. Um, we've talked briefly about land as an investment strategy. Can you quickly explain, and if you're like, oh, I don't want to touch that, do it. 1031, like-kind exchange. For somebody who comes in, they're like, they have land or whatever. Is that something that you discuss with them? What is that in general? Yeah, so, I mean, most of the time, that's something I'd kind of back up and punt. Yeah, sure. Because I think a important part to point out is, you know, I, I know where my wheelhouse is. From, yeah. From so a, do we, from a planning standpoint and y'all do too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a big part is a client would come in and bring that up and I would uh, probably bounce it back to them and go, who does your taxes? Yeah. Who, who's mm-hmm. that professional on that side? We may bring them in and have a joint. I was going to ask, do you ever have your tax professional, like your client's tax professional and you, do y'all ever have a brainstorming session together? A lot of times. Okay. Yeah. That's something I, I need to, I need yeah, to know. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't really – I mean, don't give tax advice yeah. um, or legal advice. And so when it gets down to a lot of that, it, we try to bring in those professionals that that's what they do. That's why they do it. You know, and so be able to have a couple that you can recommend um, or maybe a trusted contact that they already Yeah, need. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it's it all goes back to just like an archery or, you know, if you gun hunt or fish – you've got your go-to for that situation, mm-hmm. right? Is it a smaller bow for ground blind, um, target bow for, you know, tournament? You want to make sure you've got those tools in your financial playbook or toolbox, whatever you want to call it, to where 
that question can be answered efficiently and and to fully understand what they're getting back to you with yeah i mean that's a big part of it we have so our director of conservation crystal has been you know working here for kind of like 15 years or something a long time 13 13 and i've got to learn a lot from her about the you know the financial side of conservation and what she always says is talk to your cpa you know talk to your tax professional i'm not a financial advisor i'm not a tax professional so talk to them i do have spark notes for the people that are like okay how does this relate to the land trust i'm going to go through a few things real quick and then again if this is like is it applicable to you you have land you're interested in the conservation easement or protecting your property and i bring this stuff up then you can go talk to your tax professional and Rand, if you if you notice a place to jump in or you've had an experience with some of this stuff definitely yeah for sure Okay, so tax benefits of conservation easements. You own a piece of property, you want to protect that property, put an easement on it. Again, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, an easement means you are giving up your subdivision. Really, in the big picture stuff, you're giving up the ability to subdivide your property. You're giving up the ability to develop your property other than like putting in parcels for homesteads and stuff like that. What that means is you're losing value of your property. It becomes less valuable, and that's a donation to a 501c3 us a 501c nonprofit so uh, 501c3 so what happens there you've donated this money essentially to this organization via cash value of cash value of land to this organization what happens you get tax benefits for that and for a conservation easement that's 50 percent of your adjusted gross income annually for the first year or up to 15 years until you hit the value of that donation of con- of conserved land. So there is your you know you get to protect the land, you still own it, you still live on it, it's yours, but there are tax benefits in that way to it. So that's you know an important thing to note because people think oh I'm just giving away everything and I get nothing in return for conservation. You do get those tax benefits. So but I think that but that also that's comparative to what you're paying in taxes to begin with yeah mm-hmm. um, if your adjusted gross income is not high enough that you're going to get your value back it may not be the best move for you from yeah. a tax standpoint mm-hmm. it may just be you love conservation and you do mm-hmm. it because right monetarily you may be losing a little bit and that's right. interesting that's a great point cody because we get both types we get both types they're this so ran all these binders right here behind you um they're all conservation easements every okay. single one of them and in those, I can see just from right here, I can see very, very much of both sides. I can see those that their adjusted gross income for those landowners is extremely high and they received a very good tax benefit, likely. Um, and then I see those who are, they don't have a high adjusted gross income. They're farmers. Right. And they don't have a, a big flow of cash coming in, but they love conservation. Yeah. So it was, it was worth it in another standpoint for them. A hundred percent. And, you know, I, as I'm looking through these binders with you, I can tell, generally, I can tell the people that talked with their financial advisor and their financial advisor said, Mm -hmm. this is a good avenue for you. And that's like, there are financial advisors that are coming to people or talking with clients and saying conservation easements would be a great plan for you for your future. So don't think that it's only just charitable giving and you're giving because it can be financially beneficial if it's the right circumstances for you. You brought up farmers, um, and you know ranchers or whatever and crystal i talked to her before you came because i wanted to you know be prepared and and answer everything right and um for the tax benefits of a conservation easement 
So if 50% of your income comes from farming and ranching, you qualify. You're a qualified farmer and rancher. Right. Um, and that's only in the year of donation. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. So in the year that you donate the conservation easement, if 50% of your income comes from farming and ranching, which could also be timber harvest, you know, that's, right. you know. That's yeah, considered agriculture. Mm-hmm, yep. It's agriculture. Um, then you qualify and 100% of the deduction so in the tax benefits 100 percent of your adjusted gross income gotcha. can apply so that's useful if you're a farmer and again you're trying to there's how to make it work there's that's, an avenue your financial advisor mm-hmm. could tell you that there's an avenue for right. you even if you're not the you know the type that's coming in it from a financial advisor standpoint there is an avenue for you as just a farmer to maximize the tax benefits that you can get um, from a conservation easement and i think that's an important point because we want we want all types we want we want this to benefit. Obviously, we I think want I, we could care less who you are. We we want to protect your property if it's property that's deemed yeah it's worthy. worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter what your reasoning is. What matters is the resource. A hundred percent. Do you want to get into trade lands at all? Well, I think you I think you touched on it early on when we were talking about you know different investment options and and land being one of those you can talk about how it works for a 501c3 like yeah. us mm-hmm. um, a little bit we use the term trade lands okay um it's just, an interesting concept yeah it, yeah we use it just because it's the it's like the third grade version of of what we're doing with with trade lands so a lot of times these uh these especially more wealthy individuals or those who just really love what we do and they don't have like necessarily cash to give us but they're they're a lot of times you've heard the term land rich money poor right <laughs> so some of them are yep. land rich money poor and they'll have lands that are you know either borderline not worth very much or they're in a place where conservation isn't a thing that we would be wanting to do there they're in the middle of town it's a vacant lot in a subdivision that they bought way early for super cheap and you know now they're paying ridiculous amount of tax on it right Right. And it's really a burden to them. They're never going to build on it, and it's not something that's deemed, you know, protection worthy because it's in the middle of a subdivision. Yeah, and, and that's it's an it's, acre lot. It ties in perfectly to what you said, which is we don't want to we don't want to disqualify anybody from working with us because of who they are, if their land is worthy. But then there's also we can work with you if your land is not deemed worthy for conservation. This is going into what you were just saying. And, so go and ahead. It's not like God saying your land's worthy or not worthy. Yeah. there is a checklist of things we go through when we're we're looking at a property to see where should it go there is a long checklist that we go through to say does it have you know rare and threatened endangered species on it does it have water resources all these things right so that's how we determine if it's quote-unquote worthy and it's all quotes. determined by a, a board of directors who yes. governs this organization it's not just like me yeah, and Cody yeah, we sitting. fill out the checklist mm-hmm. we bring it to them gotcha. they say okay. yes or no but in in terms of if you've got this this vacant lot in the middle of a subdivision that you bought early on as maybe an investment or you inherited it or whatever now mm-hmm. it's all grown up around it the tax value shot way up you can't afford to keep it you're never going to do anything with it but you're like you know i really want to do something you know for conservation and i'm at a point in my life where i can but i don't have cash to donate i've got this piece of land and honestly it'd be less of a headache for me if i didn't own it mm-hmm. so that's when those lands come to us, and we will accept those as a, as a gift, just a fee title gift of the of the land deed transfer right to us. With the caveat that we're not going to protect it. Yeah. Right. right and right. and what we will do, we will leverage that that land. So we will we will take ownership of that land. We will turn around and sell it on the open market, just like any private landowner would. 
then that money that comes in from that, whatever it is, and usually we take a highly discounted rate because we're just trying to move it. That's not something we're trying to protect. We want to move on to the next thing. Right. So somebody's getting a deal. You know, the original landowner's getting a deal, and they don't have to deal with it anymore. They're getting the feel good of doing what they wanted to do for conservation. Then the new landowner, the new purchaser, is usually getting a deal in the purchase price. And then we're taking those proceeds, leveraging them 13 times mm-hmm. with grants that we're writing for other projects, and we're putting that back into conservation somewhere where it should go. So a lot of times outside the city limits. Right. So that's a trade land boiled down into how we kind of move them around the shale game. I think that's a great breakdown, Cody. And I think the other kind of mantra of this organization um, that we've said, and I think is a, you know, I, I like a lot, is it's not like we're an organization that's anti-development because we're not. We're just anti-stupid development. Right, right, right. Um, and there's places for development. And those trade lands places are places that our board and we deem are places that development would be a good thing. That means somebody's moving in there and they're not moving, sprawling out into an area that maybe should be conserved. Yeah. So that, you know, we're kind of, it's two birds with one stone there where we're, we're facilitating development in areas that should be developed while getting the funds to protect places that need to be protected and preventing sprawl out into the areas that need to be protected. So um, as, we, a, as a disclaimer, if, if these are things that like, and Sam and I probably haven't did a great job of explaining this. If you're, if you're curious about how that works, you know, Travis, our executive director, would be who you would want to talk to. This is this is what he does. It's what he deals with every day. I was thinking um, about Travis. Travis and Crystal. I was thinking about Travis earlier as one of those individuals that I think is wise. I did, well, when I got my no offense, Ram, no, but when I when I got when I got hooked up with my financial advisor, I looked up to Travis because of where he's at and and how he hand, handles finance. So I asked him. I was like, "Who should I use?" And that was a. I think that's a. Um, that's a good, we were talking about, you know, those people that you look up to in right. that scenario. And as a trait for an executive director, Travis has that. And I think that's a very valuable skill set to have, you know, when you're dealing with wise use of mon- money. And especially it's not our money, you know. In many cases, this is coming from donors and people that we want to do the best with their money, just and like we, you. we almost feel more of an obligation to do better with it than we would our own money. It's like, very much like because you. Because you're, right? you're yeah. your feet are being held to the fire a little bit. Like if you lose your own money... You know, you got nobody to blame but yourself, and right. you're you're gonna cuss yourself out. But when you you screw up with someone else's money, I mean, you probably know this. Like, yeah. you screw up, you you're gonna get a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> and the um, you know, that's why we're really proud of that leverage number, that ratio that Cody just gave out, because that's been a lot of hard work to make sure that we're yeah. taking the money that we get from people that have done us the service of making us the you know charitable organization yeah, that they picked, support yeah out of all the ones out there they picked us yeah, i mean that's right. flattering right. just in that so um yeah that's a, i think that's a good breakdown of I, I don't have to get into the weeds on trade lands in terms of like tax benefits and stuff but if that's you and you have that and you're like well i this land isn't conservation land we can still work with you and trying to find a way to make that yeah, i think that's the moral of the mm-hmm. stories we're willing to work with you if you're interested in conservation period and we'll figure out what fits Right. Um, you got you got to you got to know the question that asks the question. Yep. And so, I mean, that's a great point is, you know, if you if you want to get in the trade lands, you got to reach out. Yep. And then then figure out where that fits. And that's and that's where guys like you come in the the best because we we don't have a network of financial advisors that really know about what we do or know that that's an option for their clients. And so that's something that Sam and myself and Travis and Crystal and Mikey We've all talked about and thought that, you know, we really need to reach out to 
financial advisors that are well trusted in the region and and say hey make sure that the, these are options you know about for your clients as well because a lot of times the 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 farmers and the and the regular joes that we work with they are referred to us through either an attorney or a cpa mm-hmm. or a financial advisor and if the financial if those professionals don't know about us then that's right. an option that they left off the table exactly mm-hmm. yeah for sure um, I guess the other one little thing on this that I want to talk about um, that's interesting, and if you're really into conservation and you know all about it, this is for you. Um, there used to be conservation tax credits in North Carolina. There are no, since 2014, there are not. Um, a lot of states have those, um, but that's something that's being advocated to get back. But that's if you're like, where do the tax credits fit in, conservation tax credits? In North Carolina, they don't currently. Um, but it's worth just bringing up because if I left it off, somebody might be wondering that. Yeah, I'm, um, like I said, I don't know enough about it to know. But let's. Uh, I think we've. I think we're good on that. I, I agree. I want to move on to the, like the more fun <laughs> stuff. Not that's fine. <laughs> like, I, I, I keep going back to Wolf of Wall Street for some yeah. reason. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 got to bump those numbers up. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, anyway, so. I want to know, like, I definitely want Rand to just tell me, like, hey, man, here's how you, if you want a new boat, this is how you do it. <laughs> and I want a new boat, like, I wanted one yesterday. But um, instead of that, let's talk about, you know, we we kind of talked about how to live your financial life, and by no means are we telling anyone what to do. It's just a take from a professional's perspective on it, giving us, you know, feedback to the questions. And we may, our listeners may be screaming at the radio saying you're asking the wrong questions. And <laughs> I don't know what the right questions are. So, Ren, are there any questions that were the questions we should have asked? No, but, I, you know, if you're screaming at the radio now or, you know, that one pops into your head, don't be afraid to reach out to somebody. That's the biggest thing because if you don't ask it, nobody can answer it. I mean, whether it's, hey, stop in, make a phone call, find that trusted person, ask them. If they can't answer that for you, you may need to go to the next step, whether it's a CPA about land or uh, a lawyer about something with, with your estate. Just make sure, don't be afraid to use that professional. It doesn't mean that it's going to cost an arm and a leg to, to get that advice. It shouldn't. Okay. And so, you know, just just make sure you're reaching out. I mean, that's the biggest thing is don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, and I think for, for us, the biggest thing is looking at these binders and seeing both types. You know, like you were saying, we do have a ton of individuals. There's 250 binders sitting here, and a lot of these individuals were referred from those financial advisors. So conservation ties into this whole discussion because it is a tool. It can, I mean, conservation easements, if it fits into your plan, like you were talking about, we're, we are somewhat talking in circles, but if conservation and protecting the place that you love is part of your plan, it can, it can be something beyond just philanthropy. Right. It can be it can be a tool to help you out and help your estate and help you retire early or whatever it may be, along with doing that you know what you have always dreamed of doing, which is protecting that that piece of property. So, yeah, that's great. Traveler Trading Company. They are supplying us with leather goods of all types, but most importantly, the Big Iron Belt, which we named here on this podcast. Which I'm not usually a fan of alternative materials to leather. I like the natural product the best. But in terms of the big iron belt, there's no better way to hold up your shooting iron and hold up your britches. And I've also used it for a variety of other things that belts are not intended for, including hanging my dog by a harness from a rafter so I could trim her nails without getting bit. I trust this belt that much. 
Traveler Trekking Company is innovative in holding men's pants up. Yeah, all this stuff is made by craftsman Brock Norris. Handmade. Handmade. Charlotte, North Carolina. It's local. And you can go check his his business out and uh, learn a little bit more about it by going to TravelerTradingCo.com. Anybody who listens to this show regularly knows that I am not the person out of us two that should be giving beard advice. That would be Cody. So, Cody, what's in your beard right now? I like Wolf and Iron. Wolf and Iron. What product does Wolf and Iron make that's in your beard? I like their line of bombs and oils, the John Muir line. Well, that tells you everything you need to know. Not only are they local, they're out of Huntersville, but they name their product after conservationists, and they support local conservation here by supporting Three Rivers Land Trust. So why not get the product that's in Cody's beard? Have you seen a picture of it? Enough said. Wolf and Iron, you go find them at wolfandiron.com. Again, they're local. Go check them out. Let's uh, let's move into the real fun stuff. Yeah, so first off, we met. Did you? How did you find out about us before the archery tournament? Or was it just, hey, there's another archery tournament on the circuit. I'm going to go shoot it. Yeah, it's kind of essentially that. So we just kind of scouring the pages and found y'all were having your first archery shoot, and uh, got a group of guys and we came out. What did you? What did you think? Um, it was long, <laughs> long, like long, yeah. lengthwise, lengthwise. Yeah. So mm-hmm. typical, you know, a little, a little longer, but it was. I mean, it was awesome. You know, targets were new, which yeah. was awesome. Because there's been some tournaments we've been to where it's been Raggedy, a little huh? sketchy. Okay. Yeah. Um, gorgeous scenery, but y'all, I mean, y'all did a phenomenal job with your first one. I would, you know, hands hands to you. So improvements that we're looking at for the oh, you're going to see this on Sunday for Sunday. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're going to get the uh, you're getting the inside information here. So there's going to be some smaller targets. Okay. So some of those the North American big game that we yeah. had are going to be replaced with small game smaller <laughs> I, game i.e. harder to hit. <laughs> mm-hmm. there's going to be there's also going to be a long distance like not part of the the shoot but yep. a long distance money pot gotcha um long distance nice uh, i think it's gonna i think travis is looking like 100 yards so perfect um so that and it's going to be so if you really want to practice up I'll, I'll go ahead and give it to you it's going to be downhill so the range is going to be super hard to judge um nice and then the other improvement is because of some feedback on it being long we're going to stage up one of our utvs with a trailer or something on it near the end so as you make that loop around at the end when you get done you just hop on and we give you a lift oh, you nice. left off you left i cannot believe you left off the one improvement or the one change that i thought you were going to bring up i can't believe it i have no idea what you're going to say so you come around probably around target number seven and there was a big pine stand where you shot like the mule shot at the mule deer three D uh, target. That's not an improvement. That's yeah, people, it makes it you're, hard. You're Maybe gonna you're gonna yeah. hate this, uh-huh. man. <laughs> that pine stand was one of the burns that we did. Okay. So in terms of like backdrop and yeah. you know it's it's gonna, it's all black now. Yeah, so oh, yeah. Not only is it gonna be shadowy. Nice. But now <laughs> the ground's black also. Yeah. If you want the trees you, are black. <laughs> if you want to practice up, shoot at dusk. Shoot with it like a, shoot at dark with your eyes closed. Yeah. And put like <laughs> nice, a black nice. sheet behind it. But no, it's I mean it's gonna be it's really really pretty and it was probably one of the finest burns it was a good one that we've that we've done uh in terms of just all the stars aligned and um you know you you can go out there walking on sunday and it's still going to be black and we haven't had any rain and you could take your hat and wave it over the over the uh ground and it's just going to be bare dirt and you'll see seeds and i mean it's just it's really cool um i've got a camera out there right now hopefully i've got some turkeys on that I'm sure <laughs> i'm sure mm-hmm. um so ren you're uh, you're obviously way into the outdoors um did you so did you start out how did you get into how did you get into the outdoors to begin with um like i tell you sam and i've got this running tally of of professions that 
either outdoorsmen go into or they breed outdoorsmen. We don't know which it is. So, yeah. and on that list, some surprising ones are dentists. A lot of times we find that dentists are avid, out, avid mm-hmm. outdoorsmen. I think it's because they get a lot of time off. So I think dudes go yeah. into dentistry because they're like, I take off whenever <laughs> I want. Um, dentists are for sure. <laughs> Might be like the number one. Well, yeah. I've told it. I was elk hunting and ran into a whole group of dentists one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so dentists are one. Um, you know, obviously guys that are in the outdoor professions are into it. Um, so financial advisors, man, we're adding financial advisors because you're not the first. No, you're not. You're You're not not. even like, you've got a bunch of buddies that are kind of in the financial handful. And my, one of my hunting mentors is a financial advisor and he is, he's an extraordinary outdoorsman. Is that Mr. Rick? Yeah, that's Mr. Rick. No kidding. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So. Is that something that you see? Or is this just like the people? Like are that, all you guys just? Yeah. Is this the people? The, is this the people that we hang around any, with? Yeah. Don't tell anybody about our annual conferences. <laughs> yeah. So you guys are going to Montana <laughs> mule deer hunting. No, no. Is that is that an actual trend, or is it just we are exposed to? I think it's probably y'all are more exposed to must be. that. You know, demographic. Yeah. You know, demographic wise. Um, no, I mean I got into it when I was super young. I mean, I, my first kind of outdoors experience is fly fishing. Okay. Well, you um, and Sam hit it off great then. Yeah. yeah. So I'm an avid fly fisherman um, since, you know, six years old. Now Where'd you, did, you grow up, Ren? Uh, High Point. Oh, you grew up in High yep. Point. Okay, yep. great. Um, but I lived in Boone for a while, uh-huh. Appalachian State, um, but also up in towards Maggie Valley, Waynesville area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to Haywood. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up fishing Big Creek. Oh, yeah. So, Spent some time there. Yeah. And, um, but never really hunted a ton growing up um you know my dad was bird hunter that type of stuff um but my father-in-law now my girlfriend's dad at the time big time deer hunter i'd never been deer hunting in my life um you know what probably 18 19 years old hey you want to go deer hunt with me i was like well yeah that's fine talk about the scariest thing in the world is going deer hunting with your your girlfriend's your fa- dad, yeah. uh, you're, and he's mm-hmm. got a gun sitting in between you in the truck, and he's just, just riding down the road. <laughs> yeah, and you're trying to impress him, but also not piss him off. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to ask questions because you don't want to seem like you have no clue what's going on. Yep. But he hands you the rifle, and I'll pick you up at dark. Uh, and like, um, you can know. you show me how to load this <laughs> thing? <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> so, um, but since then, man, I've been, you know, I gun hunted for a long, long time. Montgomery, Troy area. Um, but the last probably two to three years got into archery and I've not gun hunted since. Would you I, say that really he, put the gun away? Totally. Put the gun away. Totally. I bow hunt all year long. Just, okay. Why dude? I just, <laughs> I, so I don't know why yeah. <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> I just, it's something about it, man. I just, you, you get out there and now, I mean, I'll get out and gun hunt a little bit for odds and ends, varmints, coyotes. Sure. Know, okay. Like, yeah. Squirrel know, hunting, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, turkeys deer you name it that was i'm i'm using a bow you just it's, like the the intimacy of it yeah i think so i'm a lot with my industry what i do as a profession at the process of stuff and so for bow hunting mm-hmm. the process of scouting you know getting my stand placement the minerals baiting if you can kind of getting that whole everything has to line hell and just so, the shooting process yeah, yeah the breathing fire follow through with a bow turns into 10 more steps with yeah, a bow yeah yeah, you can't just set up on the edge of a field and be like, well, if one walks out. Let me flip my yeah. bipod out. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee in hand. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which is much out, like, hey, nothing wrong with that. That's kind of where I like to be. <laughs> I like the, I like the but easier we've, route. But we've also, you know, both of us have been 
in that world as well, and I get it. I mean, there's a um, – I, I still love shooting archery, and I'm, I'm way into bow fishing. Like, love bow fishing um, and like to bow hunt if I've got time. And, and uh, I mean, I think appreciate the intimacy as well because if you I, – I think you may ask some guys, some rifle hunters, um, what, what distance would you prefer to shoot a deer at? And they're like, oh, man, I love that 300-yard range. You know, mm-hmm. I like to stretch them out. Right. Um, I don't think a lot of them are going to say that. I think a lot of them are going to say 100 yards. What would you say your preferred range is? As close as they possibly can. 100%. Yeah. If I, I, can, get in, if I can get them in 10 yards, a yeah. deer in 10 yards? Yeah. I can't Great. remember the last time I killed a deer outside of boat range. Well, uh, I can't remember the last time I killed a deer with a rifle. Mm-hmm. I, I muzzleload hunt yeah. all year long. Okay. Kind of like you're yeah. bow hunting. Yeah. So I muzzleload hunt. And it's not because I'm like, oh, I'm a diehard muzzleloader right. guy. It's because... My muzzleloader is the most accurate rifle I own. Period. I mean, it just is. Right, and then you're comfortable with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I like this. You know, I like the smoke and the tradition. Of yeah. course, just like you would like it with a bow. I mean, there's, there's some tradition in that that you right you I, like. There's. A, I mean, I rifle hunted for a long time. There's a difference in sitting in a box stand and watching the deer, 150 yards come mm-hmm. out and watch them walk in, than hanging out of a tree saddle and they walk right under you oh, and totally. have no idea you're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in outdoors every movement every movement every blink matters yep. i think sam and i and, and that's where sam and i are much like you and and all archery hunters so we're not into the box stand thing so much now will i if somebody offers me uh, to yeah. sit in their box stand, <laughs> yeah, damn right. yeah please call me yeah, and offer me your i'm box not gonna stand. say i'm not yeah, into a box stand but <laughs> but and i think it may be because we have to out of necessity <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> necessity but you know we're hunting tree saddles climbing stands yeah. and and hunting you know getting in close and that kind of thing and a lot of public land too so the comfort level of you know what you might think of as with a gun hunt is a little different because we're all we are doing the bow hunting right. type stuff and i think there's so many similarities which the enjoyment comes out of uh, which is what you were talking about ahead of time you know pulling the trigger is kind of the beginning of the work really right or you know flinging that era but you know when we're trying to get into bow range, even whether we're using a rifle or not, you know, we're trying to get into bow range. So you're, you're doing all that stuff. Like where's, where is this habitat? Where's this travel corridor where I can get in real tight? And that's where the fun is. You know, you spend days looking at different spots and being like, Oh, I think this is the location. This is where they're at. And then you have to just, then the sitting happens and that's the fun of trying to figure them out. And you know, the woodsmanship element of it. Uh, That's why we we've talked about, the low water bridge and why we like low water bridge we had had, so um you may have not been there before we own this property in montgomery county and uh it's big huge hardwoods and there's no defining features so there's no there's no funnels there's no there's nothing that would funnel the deer into a certain area Food, food plots there's no you know there's some cutover but there's not you know like everything's equal so it's really hard for so when you're a bow hunter and you're looking at your maps or on x or whatever right you're like okay there's a creek drain right here there's a pine stand on this side there's hardwoods here i guarantee you they walk this drain and you can kind of key in on those spots there's really none of that at low water bridge so we've had sports members write in about how horrible of a place it is to hunt because it's tough right you have no idea where they're going to be at any given time and you really got to like think about it and uh, but it's really a great place to hunt which i think was where you're going like Mm, it's 100 percent difficulty of it Mm -hmm. and it's like i mean it's you know almost handicapping yourself in a degree you know you can choose you can choose the point and you can go sit on the field edge and shoot would i like the point is your typical agriculture situation with edges and all the things that when you think midwest whitetail hunting that's what you think of yeah and then low water bridge 
you know, the, the fun to me is being like, okay, I'm going to do what other people I feel like maybe can't do here. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find them here in a monoculture of open hardwood stands. I'm going to find out where they're at. Right. And I'm looking at things like not only habitat, but I'm looking at topography and I'm starting to look at, you know, all the different elements. I'm going to try to call more Uh because I may need them to come to me because I can't get right up in where they're going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Stuff like that, you know, and that's what we enjoy. And and Sam and I, we pretty much use most of our draws there. Mm -hmm. I think, because we feel like it would be cheating to go to the other the, the other right, property because right, because right. it is I mean oh I love the point I love the point and I also like I would if I could I just again when we're putting our picks in Cody and I and the staff here we are because we work and you know have been here with the sports program from the very beginning we know what spots are popular so when we're putting our picks in we want to you know we have that insider information of like this area is popular and the point's always popular it's a harder draw. And I can try low water bridge and I know that my odds are a little bit better hot tip for people listening. But <laughs> when you're going to scout, um, let's say you're going out, you grew up in or did a lot of hunting in the Montgomery County area. Yeah. Let's say you're going out to Uwari National Forest. Um, somewhat of a monoculture can be a monoculture as well. So kind of oh, like yeah. low water bridge. Yeah. What are your defining features where you're like on on X or on the maps and you're like, oh, this is. In a monoculture setting, this is what I'm cluing in on here as, like, my – oh, this is going to be the spot for me to set up in my saddle. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest, I've not public land hunted a lot, so mm-hmm. I'm still learning as I go, you know, getting into archery. But I think it's learning the deer movement. I mean, whether it's bedding, food sources, they've got to get those two things. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, whether it's on the property or next to the property – is figuring out where and then it's boots on the ground yeah i mean yeah. that is can't, probably the biggest, can't beat it right that's I what mean, sam and i always say you yeah. you, you can study it on onyx is phenomenal but it only gets just a part of the way we went to kentucky last year we studied onyx for weeks weeks got up there and until we had boots on the ground whole plan changed oh yeah we were in a total different part of the public land area mm-hmm. and I mean, we didn't have any success. We saw deer, just couldn't get them in range. But it was night and day difference from what we looked at on the computer. Yeah. Yep. 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 It was very similar to my trip to Michigan this past year. Like, you know, you just couldn't tell. Um, I was going to ask you, so do you find that getting into the tournament world, it kind of helps you with your your hunting career as far as putting the pressure on a little bit and giving you that same amount of adrenaline type situation where you're you're getting that hunting type practice? Or do you feel like it's a totally different thing? I, both, in, in the in the sense of, I mean, you're you're standing there. Typically, a couple guys you know, um, you know, they're they're right beside you watching. Whether you're shooting a an elk or a turkey or a coyote target, there's still that same sensation of. Now it's not quite the heart pumping mm-hmm. if that buck target buck walks out, but you're still getting that sense of. There's a little bit extra going on in your mind. You shot process to the execution part of it and so i think it's made me already a better archer from my from my process um but there's you can't be getting out and hunting but i would urge anybody that's at least interested in it bring your hunting bow out and and shoot the hunter class you're not in any competition against except yourself come out and try it yeah um we have a blast every time we come i um we asked you about financial advisors and if like that group is like 
full of hunters, which we thought. And that's what I thought. Uh, obviously not. Maybe we're just around a bunch of hunters. Anyways, one other thing that I noticed, and I, I swear this one's true, is of the demographics of individuals, like we, again, the land trust, it, we're so much more than just like a hunting group. You know, we have the paddle community, right? which is great. We have the hiking community, the bird watching community, the trail running community. We yep. want everybody underneath this umbrella. This archery group that we had out was one of the most enjoyable groups of people as just like a group that I've Ma- th- th- well mannered, like just nice so, people. Yeah, so. Somewhat like, you know, it had stretched out across like you had all different types, but one thing the few trends that I seem to note were they were all extremely friendly, um, good natured, seemed to dress pretty nice, like we're gonna kinda got dressed up and we're excited except to be the, out there. Except for the Phantom. And, yeah, except <laughs> for the Phantom. And then um appreciative at the end and we've had a lot of events where you know it hasn't always been like that but that group and maybe that was just an anomaly we've only done one but have you noticed that within the community yeah i mean i always joke when i tell people about tournaments it's, it's golf of our you know a golf of the outdoors oh it's, totally it's, it's, totally it's set up the same way um but i think people take pride in the fact that you're willing to host an event mm-hmm. and, and respect that part of it because you i just I mean, I've seen the same thing. I've not been doing them a long time, but the ones I've been to, you typically find people that are gonna be respectful of the property. Um, try, you know, try not to leave trash around. It's it's a very well mannered sport in general, from as far as dress dressing to what's going on around and about it. That's the that's the only event where I've ever had somebody come back and give feedback, and they're like. Uh, we a few more trash cans would be a great thing, you know. Like it was like you were saying, like respectful yeah. of the property and um, and wanting it, like people picking up trash and bringing it back and all that. I was very impressed, and um, I think you touched on something which I, I wanted to ask about, which was you said they're appreciative that you're even putting on the tournament. Is there is part of the appreciation the fact that there's just like not that many around like they're kind of hard like you said you had to search and you're looking through trying to find the next tournament and one that's close by is that kind of just a a rare thing for new courses to be popping up or not really well probably for new ones Mm -hmm. yeah um i think it's few and far between there's a bunch of good ones around because there's obviously a lot of golf courses i mean every single town has five Five or six Uh uh-huh so I mean the biggest thing I would probably say is is new targets. You know that's yeah. always that's everybody always, wants to shoot the new stuff. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean there's an investment in those, right? For sure, no doubt. Um, and there's a ton of phenomenal clubs. We drove last weekend to Hidden Night. It was about an hour and a half from me, and shot for a club. Shot at a club. Um, you know, different terrain, different set of rules, but challenged myself. Um, you know, never shot as far up and downhill as they had it being on the mountains where they are was was unique but i think appreciative to the that you're willing to open up to to invite Mm -hmm. those people in i mean and and now you are asa technically Mm -hmm. so that'll be a huge that'll be a huge bonus for people coming out yeah that's what we were that was the feedback we got so you guys need to be asa and so, so that's what we went with and i think i do think that every archer knows how hard it is to set up one target because you've all set up one in your yeah, backyard yeah. like setting up one 3d target's not so bad setting up 20 oh yeah especially when you're doing large game it's like dude i know how much work you put into this mm-hmm. so thanks yeah. uh, this is yeah. great i didn't have to set up one thing i came and paid 15 bucks and got to shoot 20 of them okay <laughs> for people listening if we had on like a pro staff golfer 
or something for people who've never, never done go, it before. Never gonna happen. Which, <laughs> which Cody and I, we've we I haven't shot in tournaments. You've shot in some tournaments. Yeah, I, think. I shot all through um, uh, middle school and high school, but I haven't. So I'm gonna ask the question that maybe some people listening don't know, which is how does it work? How does like you've got these targets out there, and you do you have to hit the target or like what is what does ASA even mean? How do you score? How do you do better than somebody else? Yeah, so so there's there's two main. I mean, obviously you're outdoor 3D, which is what y'all are hosting, mm-hmm. and then like indoor targets. And so you, there's not a lot of carryover between them, to the two right. that I've seen, um, right. because you're you're indoor. The biggest thing is you drop a point. There's no way to get back a point, so it's got to be perfect period mm-hmm. and these guys train for years to shoot perfect whereas in the outdoor 3d most of the scoring is done in a sense kind of like golf to where there's a 12 a 10 an 8 and a 5 and then a, a zero getting progressively larger so a 12 ring would be the smallest about the size of a quarter about the size of a quarter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so de- depending on how you set your scoring up you know you're trying to go for that 12 most of the time mm-hmm. Obviously, not everybody hits it every single time. But if let's say you hit on a target, you hit an eight. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got the opportunity to get a little more aggressive on your next shot and mm-hmm. go for the twelve and make that up. Sure. And so it, you know, as that course evolves, you're kind of playing a mental game with. Yourself. I never thought of it that way. That's a good way to put it. Like if you hit an eight, well, I'm going to risk it on a twelve. You got to get more aggressive because yeah, because and that's the, the way these targets are set up. So the twelve is like the heart. You know, it's the like perfect the, vital shot. The perfect mm-hmm. vital, and it's tiny. Yeah, because it's supposed to be difficult. And then the next shot, the ten ring, is like lungs, right? Which a ten ring shot would be any sportsman, any hunter would be proud of a ten ring shot. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, hands down. I mean, I, you know, a ten most most your avid bow hunters, a ten is. I mean, that's it's a good shot. High quality, yeah. very high yeah. quality. And so you've got to know animal. So what makes what makes it fun? with 3d is you need to know a little bit of anatomy of wildlife because you need to know where that 12 ring is going to be because it's not like it's painted bright orange on the target right it's it's like a penciled circle basically you can't see it from 30 yards no yeah so it, it gets it's very very tough i mean you, you almost have to know where the rings are going back i mean you know if you've got your archery bow and you do shoot a lens and it helps some but it's not a that doesn't correct it Yep, right. I, I see. So, and it depends on what class. Like, you can use some some tools. Like, you can carry binoculars if you're shooting certain classes or a rangefinder or whatever. But then there's classes where you can't do that. Right. That you're competing against other people who are, you know, guessing yardage and and guessing where the twelve ring is, basically. But all right, Ren, I've got a question. Yep. Being fiscally responsible, what are the upgrades to a bow that you're not going to break the bank? Mm-hmm. You're going to be you're going to be this financially responsible. High, good question. Yeah, yeah. But this is worth spending that little bit of extra money so that you can do better in these tournaments, but you know, you're not being completely irresponsible and getting the best of the best. So are we talking just bow? Uh, no, I I'm talking, talk, I'm talking talk as an archery accessories. hunter, yeah. as an archery hunter going deer hunting, like well, actually, where, where's a, where's a finance professional drawing the line on? Yep. Can't do that, but I will do this. <laughs> or I, and don't you, ask my wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell her, we'll tell her not to listen to this podcast. Yeah. yeah. And then for the tournament, like coming up to the tournament, like, is is it worth spending money on a lens? Is it you know that those kinds of things, accessories, stabilizers? So, yeah. So I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of punt that one a little bit and say it it, it really depends on how specific you want to get with it, mm-hmm. right? Are you gonna make it an issue when you're shooting? If you're going out there shooting your hunting bow, 
if you're confident in your setup, that's that's a lot of the part of it because mm-hmm. it's so much mental. Mm-hmm. You know, if it, maybe it's arrows. You know, have you taken the time to to are you not tuning them right? Mm-hmm. Have you sat down and analyzed your veins that are on there, the points? I mean, there's a lot that goes into mm-hmm. it um, from start to finish. Your strings, peak, a lot of moving parts. It, yep. And that's why I like it so much is the process. I've, I basically built a range behind my house. Shoot, shoot about every single day, um, and I'm constantly tweaking a part of that. But I'd say probably this year, archery-wise, was probably the I bought a new Matthews. But, you know, God, I'd probably say my my scope and lens. Or my, that's my biggest like, go-to this year. Sure. I just had a um, conversation. I was fly fishing this weekend for my birthday with some friends, and we were coming back and – it's all tied together. We're t- passing all these golf courses. And I was talking about a friend of mine who's a financial advisor, kind of investment banker type dude. Um, and one of his hobbies, along with hunting, loves hunting, but playing golf. And he went on a weekend trip with some buddies, and they had 36 holes, so two rounds, and it was like $300 for them to go out there mm-hmm. and do it, plus the cost of balls. you know. And then I was like, I can't – again – I get it. I, it's all the same. It's really similar to your sport where, you know, the joy of doing really well is the highs and right. lows are really, but I just like the, the idea of spending $300 to go out there. And for me, probably shanking, <laughs> lose, shanking lose. balls in the woods, coming out just pissed yeah. that I played so bad and spent all that money. Have you ever had, <laughs> have you ever had somebody come in and meet with you as a client? And you've told where you, you need to change hobbies. Yeah. Where you've been like, you've <laughs> been like, look, man, this, what you're spending on this hobby it, it's too much. Have yeah. you ever had that discussion? I, I, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's that's the thing. I mean, as an advisor in our industry, we work with everybody. You know, I don't. I, I'm not going to tell anybody no. I'm gonna, at least we're going to sit down and make sure we understand. Now, I may not be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. You may not be a good fit for me. I mean, it doesn't mean that we're just going to get along. Um, but it's important that you understand where each other's coming from, and then being able to to kind of figure that out so i'd say i mean for sure i mean there's been times i've had to go nope you can't do that that's done but there's also been times where because we had a plan in place those things are kind of not i'm not gonna say allowable but you can afford to do them do you feel do you have clients that'll call you and ask permission on certain things yeah 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 See, Which, that's a nice thing to have yeah i'm liking i'm liking the relationship you're forming with your clients where yeah. it's like I'm going to text Ryan be like, yeah. let me see if it's cool by this card. If I, if I can actually swing it or if well, I'm just dreaming. And a lot of it is, I, I mean, I tell our clients and, you know, people I talk to, it's, it's becoming, you're almost kind of part of family. You know, people being born, unfortunately clients pass away and deal with estates and stuff. And But it's it's being trusted enough to make that phone call of go, hey, you know, I'm really thinking about buying a car. What do you think? Instead of buying the car and going, yeah, I'm dr- you see that new car I'm driving in? I'm mm-hmm. like, well, we didn't talk about that at all. So we had a breakthrough on the Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that com- I keep going back to that commercial. It's I don't all- know that commercial. Dude, You've brought so it up So you twice. were asking me about if I watched Hulu and, you know, they repeat the same commercial over and over and over <laughs> for stuff. It's I forget. It's one of our crazy subscriptions. Like, they repeat the same crappy commercials over and over. Yeah. And it's this dude. He's, like, managing. He's a financial advisor managing, like, a rock star who's buying, like, islands and mm-hmm. waterfalls mm-hmm. and stuff and he's like in vegas yeah he's in vegas and he's like oh hey uh he's like i just bought a volkswagen he's like because he's gonna like chew him out for buying something stupid he's like oh a volkswagen 
Oh, it looks like we're having a breakthrough. You're finally buying something <laughs> something responsible here. <laughs> like Volkswagen is like a responsible vehicle mm-hmm. to drive. Yeah, I'm not advertising for Volkswagen, by the way. They're a sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> my wife drives one, but actually the exact same one that's in that commercial. But yeah, well, more than anything, I'm um, I'm appreciative to have you on here. A little bit stressed out. Yeah, I noticed um, your face, like the whole yeah, the whole. Got, I'm, I'm a little quiet. bit somber <laughs> uh, and reflective. <laughs> Sam's face right now, his like the he, wheels are turning. His his skin's tighter than normal. <laughs> <laughs> he's like he's like nervous. I need to make some phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I uh, I don't know. Like, there's more questions I would love to ask. Um, I learned so. I've two funny things before we quit. Um, one. Growing up, you know, a farming family, and my my whole family's always had a saying of, you know, we're going to put our stock in the pasture, yeah. you know. Uh, and seriously, that's how, you know, my whole family for generations has invested through livestock, and, you know, that's what we do for a living. And uh, I always thought it was kind of funny, you know, our stock's in the pasture, not in the market. <laughs> and when we take one to market, it's going to Hardee's kind of right, thing, right, you know right, what I mean? Right. Um but uh <laughs> yeah but um I've, I've i've thought about it a lot and uh i learned i learned a lot of things about finance recently through new mortgages and a new house and you know being an adult being an adult kind of sucks man <laughs> a lot it, of things you gotta do a lot of things that i don't want to do or have to learn and there's not a college course per se that on learning how to be a responsible adult with money no. And it should be like it should be like one of the not a city. high school course. It should yeah. be yeah. a it should be a thing like writing checks and managing budget. a bank account and a budget and just not being stupid. Right. And I like I've always joked that there should be a college course on ratchet straps because you, you don't know how many mm-hmm. people that we run into that don't know how to operate a ratchet strap to yep. strap something down. <laughs> you know, like a normal life skill. Right. Right. And uh, I feel like it's the same with finance. I mean, I recently learned that, you know saving money in your safe at your house i mean that's great and you should definitely i think keep some 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 spending money or whatever some rainy day money cash yeah um but um you it's not going to do you any good if you need to make a big purchase because if you're sitting on a fat stack of cash at your house irs is going to flag you for putting 10 grand in your bank account overnight to go buy something well and it, it gets back to that time aspect i mean if you know if that money's for something down the road, whatever money's in that safe that's above your kind of you know your safety net, your your emergency cash, whatever you want to call it, it's not keeping up with inflation, right? Yep. So it's not going to buy the same house. It's not going to buy the same goods that you want to purchase. That's exactly right. Yep. And so it's just it, it all gets back to being able to have that conversation and know the questions to ask. But if you don't know the questions to ask, you need to get to somebody that you can trust that's going to at least prompt you to ask those questions i've have i have a friend i'm actually going to be the best man in his weddings just grew up together really good friend he's a financial advisor i'm not a hunter but he um there's not things yet. yeah not yet he's he's sat in a box stand <laughs> with me before you know i shot probably one of the biggest year i ever shot with him sitting we were i'd come home from um arizona and was home for thanksgiving and he, we just came out because we hadn't seen each other in forever Wearing like he was coming from work, like wearing khakis and like a polo, and we're sitting in a box stand talking about just like hunting mm-hmm. yeah. in quotations. Um, 
and this giant buck walks out. And we're talking like we're talking right now. We're not even hunting. We're just sitting there talking, and I end up yep. shooting that deer. But So I guess he is kind of a hunter, kind of. Um, but there's a few things that, like, really frustrate him in the job. So I don't want to, like, ask you. One of those is, like, somebody calling and being like, I want to invest heavily in gold. I'm going to get gold bars and just hold on to the gold right. bars. And that's, like, I don't want to get into, like, specific. I know you don't want to give specific financial advice um because you know you want person to have that conversation with their trusted financial advisor but are there are there things that are just like that's stupid generally across the board like just don't coin just don't do (laughs) just don't do that just don't do that one thing or two things you know this is gonna sound very safe answer but i i I would kind of lean back and say you know i get those questions all the time Bitcoin, mm-hmm. gold, marijuana stock, you name it. There's, yeah. I mean, across mm-hmm. the board, there's always what's next, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the question is, it's not why that right there. It's why you think that's a good fit. Mm-hmm. And so there's a bigger question behind that question I usually get of, well, why do you want gold? Fast money. It's, it's or maybe it's a, a legacy that I know my kids can use gold. Yeah, constant value. Right. So, so it's. You know, okay, so you want to leave money to your kids or you're worried about your next generation. Well, how does this affect, you know, are there different avenues you can take to diversify? Is it land? Is it money? Is it real estate and property management? Is it just strictly stocks? And you can kind of go back and figure out what that bigger question or fear is. Is there is there like if somebody comes in, they're like, here's the reason why I want to ride my jet ski on the moon. <laughs> is there like, is it ever like, okay, you have your fast money expectations. That's the serious problem here is like, that's a bad attitude to have. Um, and we need to reel that back and let's get realistic. Or if, if somebody comes in, they're like, yeah, I'm taking this stock. I'm getting into marijuana stocks because I'm going to drive a Lamborghini yeah, in five years. Going, yeah, it's going to the moon. Um, is that like, Is would you say that's a bad attitude to have and let's, or no? No. I mean, I, I think, you know, the biggest aspect is if you're comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I know I keep talking in general, you know, general terms, but it's, it's being comfortable with the risk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm a risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. I mean, in anything you do, you know, outdoor stuff, if it's investments, finances, family, it's risk versus reward and, and where your comfort level is. Yeah. Um, you know, and where's your, gets back to the plan part, kind of, you know, going back to it. If, if your plan needs that level of growth, it's probably more of a thing of, Hey, we missed out and it should have happened sooner yeah. to where you didn't have to, yeah. or that you feel you mm-hmm. need to. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's play money versus that retirement and that's what i was getting at earlier yeah, yeah play money versus that's a i yeah. wish i'd have come up with that that's, yeah. yeah play money versus retirement money keep some play money for sure but don't keep too much well it, it, and it gets down to the budget yeah. right it, it it's okay to have play money but is it truly play money or is it long-term retirement family money yeah that's that's a good point yeah play money boat Maybe. money boat money yeah it just Oh, man, like the, I was like, now I'm getting stressed out yeah. because I'm thinking, I'm thinking like I'm thinking to my pay stub, and I'm like, God, like ninety percent of that could potentially be play money, uh, uh, the way I'm wanting to spend it, and that's not how it needs to go. Play, play just became a very relative. Yeah, word. play, <laughs> play. I see the whiteboards you started over there. Jeez, yeah. <laughs> golly, there's so much stuff I would like to have. Well, most importantly, 
hopefully this helped you straighten up. I think it's helped me straighten up a little bit and taught you a little bit about conservation and the benefits of um, financial, potential financial benefits of conservation. This isn't just, it doesn't have to be only philanthropy, which I think is important. You know, it can be a part of your plan. Um, Coming up with a plan, finding a financial advisor. um, I think I want to have, I want to have that person like you who I can go and, and make a phone call and, and, and be like, is this the right thing to do? Because again, I think a lot of people listening to the show probably just have too many hobbies to have, you know, a full control of their finances. And it always is helpful, no matter what you're doing, to have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of and, um, and get wisdom from. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. I think, I think it's great, Ryan, to have a, have an actual real life, uh, finance professional come and talk and and bs with us because as a as an outsider looking in you you think about all the professions where they're like crooks you know like people that yeah are, yeah it's funny we had we had the police officer on yeah john came on yep. and, yeah and and we you know series and you doing. you brought up wolf of wall street and you brought up yeah the um, crooks you know and you like, brought up movies with john where you know there's this hollywood portrayal of what this profession right. is and you're taking a group and you're lumping them into a pigeon lawyers yeah, yeah. 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 and it's nice to have again you know when it comes to money and it comes to bankers and it comes to somebody who's managing finances there is a pigeonhole that people try to put that in it's nice to know that you know you can get that trusted advisor who fits you that is like you who does the same thing they're as a regular you, person and they're a regular you know individual yeah. oh yeah well, and, and y'all are hitting it right. You know, everybody's got that person that they can trust. I'm not a good fit for everybody. I, you know, I don't wear a suit to the office every single day. Yeah. You may catch me in cowboy boots on Fridays. Yeah. But when I'm at work or if it's dealing with my clients' information or accounts, I'm on 100%. That doesn't mean just because I'm wearing cowboy boots that I'm not paying attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm just, that's not my, that's not who I am at the core. And, and my clients get that, and that's why we have such a I close relationship. I prefer to deal with someone in cowboy boots. Right. <laughs> it, well, it just go, I mean, you may want that. Go to the bank. I, I want them to have a suit on, be yep. tailored, drive the, the you know BMW-looking car. That may be your advisor and kind of what you need mentally. You know, and I pulled up in my Duramax, tr- big old lifted, mud, mudded-up truck, and people go, and I get out in a suit sometimes, they're like, Mm-hmm. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't yeah. want that guy handling yeah. my, right. my, my yep. finances. Mm-hmm. But but it, when you get down to the core of it, it's it's about listening. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can't listen and figure out what's important to each of you, and you create that relationship, you're not gonna. It's never gonna work. Yeah, and I, yeah. I mean that that ties into our job and it, really every job. I mean, I think there's some landowners that would rather, you know, Crystal show up and talk to them, or and then there's landowners that would rather have Cody show up yeah. and that you know That's you right. fit in. It's like right. you know conservation doesn't fit into one box yep. and there's tons of different co- conservationists and a lot of people would rather have cody come out and wearing his cowboy boots and in have the, the, in the work in a work truck in the work truck right. and talk about that and then you can a lot of these conservationists would rather have crystal show up and uh tell them about the neotropical migratory birds on their property and point out you know a whatever a um, tax incentive yeah or whatever mm-hmm. yeah. so you know it all it all fits together and i know it's like that for every job but um, for Ren, for financial advisors, there's a financial advisor for you, and you just got to go find the right person. And for conservation here at the, you know, this organization, we have people from all different walks of life, and whether you're a bird watcher or a hunter or whatever, yeah, think, we can we can help you out. I think you could shorten your your college mentor class 
and mm-hmm. how to be an adult and to find mentors yeah. in each thing that are trustworthy, that are living by example. Right. And and pick those people and that's that's what you need. You need a network of folks. Like you need your preacher, you need your family, you need your, your financial advisor, you need your lawyer. All these people are the people that you need to be able to trust. And that'll save you on hard lessons down the road. Um, which m- probably everybody sitting at this table has learned a hard lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was great. Uh, Ren, anything we didn't ask that's, like, tearing you up you want to talk about? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I appreciate y'all letting me come in. I got one more. Yeah. One more to end this thing out. You talked about turkeys, mm-hmm. bow hunting for turkeys. Turkey season's coming up. Okay. Um, you said last season was your first season turkey hunting. Last, yep, first Did, first time. Any success? Describe success. Okay. Uh, any harvest first. No harvest. No, no, yeah. Okay. So, so but success, I mean, success can be getting in bow range or having like close encounters. Do you have some close encounters? Yeah. So, so I figured, okay, first time, you know, really getting into archery, first time turkey hunting, I'm going to go all in. So I went on, I got the, have y'all ever seen the heck suit? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Watch the commercials. You're like, there's no way that invisibility. Happened. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, that's, that doesn't work. Was that a responsible investment? <laughs> Yeah, not at the time. <laughs> yeah. So, but so I figured, well, I'm, I've got this suit. I'm going to go out there in a lawn chair. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I literally, edge of a field in a lawn chair, I had two turkeys walk. I could have jumped on them. No. Oh. Didn't ever want spook. Here I am. Gobs? Just, yeah. Mm. Yep. Um, had two come two toms come in about 20 yards from me. And I, you know, couldn't get drawn back mm-hmm. fully i just started really bow hunting and and sailed that nocturnal to watch it go right yeah. over the turkey but i felt good because i actually got the turkey in mm-hmm. was sitting in a long got chair, a shot off yeah the, the edge of the woods just minding my own business but yeah the hex suit so you're saying the hex suit works yes it will not cover your scent but i will i would put it up against anything as one of the best things i've ever gotten to wear hunting Sure. Well, turkeys. So I'm I'm in a similar boat. Like I, for years, just went with whatever camouflage I had, and then I yeah. I got a deal. It was a very fiscally responsible purchase. Mm-hmm. I got a screaming deal on a leafy suit, mm-hmm. a screaming deal, and uh, wore that the first season, and I became the invisible man. You know, and I was like, this right here is a game changer. Yep. In the turkey woods, and so yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, having having quality clothing is uh, definitely it, a turkey turkey game changer. Yeah, it it has definitely changed the way I hunt. I mean, even from a tree saddle. I mm-hmm. mean, literally, I have a video of a buck standing directly under me, staring into my eyes, and he does not know what I am. Yep, he knows I'm up there. He can see me, but I'm not a threat. It's it's the craziest thing. I, I mean, squirrels come right down and sit with you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not having that having that confidence in your like being invisible like and you can do the same thing in a pair of carhartts probably if you're just like the right guy right you know it's it's not a it's not the end all get everything you see but it's that tool there's different tools for different situations and if it gives me the extra 20 seconds to draw back it's worth it yep it was uh it's funny you'd bring up like your first time turkey hunting and having a hard time drawing back and Mm -hmm. everything i remember i first time i picked up a bow it's my uncle's bow and I was in Georgia and uh, got to practicing in the yard. And after three or four days, I was like, I'm pretty darn good with this thing. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm ready. Yeah, I mean, I can yeah, put yeah. it in tight yeah, yeah. at 30 yards. I'll just stay within 30 yards. 
and went and popped up a ground blind. And sure enough, first time, first time ever out in the woods with a bow, big old giant buck. Mm-hmm. Comes, I mean, close. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I'm, I'm, I don't think so. Um, and I'm like, oh, here we go. And my heart is throbbing. Mm-hmm. And I'm shaking so bad. <laughs> They're so close. And I'm on the ground, you know. So, I mean, this even looks even closer that it's like my arrow is falling off the rest. I can't yeah. even keep it on the rest. It's <laughs> oh, wobbling around so much. And I sh- I'm shaking as I, I couldn't get it back. I didn't have the strength to get it back. And it falls off the rest. And then I have to, like, try to break it down. And it ran off. And I totally blew it. Yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of that feeling that bow hunting gets you. And you practice on the range doesn't equate. What I realized real quick, first time out, was practice on the range does not equate to success in the woods. And that's an important lesson, too. But it doesn't hurt. And that's why these tournaments – so, I, again, I realize this tournament that we've got coming up on Sunday is going to be after – or before this episode comes out. But we have two more coming up right. in the next few months. So if you've been out, you got your uncle's bow, you shot it a few times – and you're like, oh, I'm ready to go hunt. Maybe come out to the tournament and get a little bit a little higher simulation. Pre- uh, yeah. yeah, a little bit yeah. simulation and a little bit higher pressure situation. Um, bump, and bump and, into Ren, get mm-hmm. you some financial yeah. advice. Yeah. There. That's right. But it's a beautiful course. It's at the Point property that we're super proud of and have done a lot of management. And um, come see Ren, come see us. And if you're into archery or want to get into it, it's a it's a great thing to to you know sharpen your teeth on and, and give it give it a whirl. Everybody told a bow hunting story. Feel, Go ahead, feel, please I tell I one. Obli- Go ahead, I feel Go ahead, obligated please. to tell one. Um, so I'll tell. You're talking about your first bow hunt. Mm-hmm. So my first like legit bow season, I had gotten a uh, hand-me-down used bow, which as an adult I do not recommend. Mm-hmm. I think you should, uh, even if you're a kid and you're you need to beg your dad for years to get you a brand new bow get a brand new one set up for you right don't go hand me down trying to make it work because it just it's never going to end well you will be a much better shot right off the bat if you just get a better yep. bow but anyways got this hand me down situation it was a decent bow it was a ben pearson mcpherson which was at the time a pretty popular brand um and it was a nice bow set up well a little long for me i'm, I'm a short guy anyway so um it was like a 28 inch draw and i'm a 26 and a quarter so it was, I mean, I was having to do some oh, lean, yeah. do some leaning, like straight armed, which I don't like shooting that way. Um, but got this bow, and it was kind of my first season, like really branching out and doing my own thing without my dad, as far as not being kind of handheld and put in a stand and and that kind of thing. And I hung my own lock-on stand, which was at 12 years old. Looking back on, it, I was like, wow, I went out and hung my own lock-on stand. So I hung my own lock-on stand in a spot that was really good, was at the forks of these two creeks. And, you know, a ton of sign, you know, anticipating opening day in September. And so went in opening day, like super early, 4 a.m. You know, I was jazzed up. It was yeah. my first my first <laughs> bow hunt and had this bow. And I had I even had hand-me-down broadheads. Nice. Some dude had given me a sack, like a Ziploc sack <laughs> with a bunch of muzzies and, and all these just parts of broadheads. And I'd kind of like figured out how to put them together because my, my dad really wasn't into bow hunting that much. I mean, he, he didn't have time and he, he gun hunted. So what was the point? And I just was trying to extend my season because I was a 12 year old kid. Right. And uh, so I had all this stuff and it was like a rinky dink bunch of stuff. And, but later that morning, I had one of those times of the morning where it's like, Oh, you know, I'm gonna have to climb down and mm-hmm. take care of some other yeah. business, mm-hmm. you know? So I did that and I climbed back up in the tree and as soon as I got sat back down, I hear something 
splashing in the water and here comes a doe and here comes another doe here comes another doe and they're coming right up the trail right right on, right in the mm-hmm. right in the hot zone i'm like all right here we go here we go and i was like you just shaking <laughs> nervous and there's a holly tree that they're going to have to walk under before they step out into the hole i was like when they come through that holly tree i'm gonna stand up i'm gonna get my get my bow because i got it hanging on a thing mm-hmm. and i'm gonna i'm gonna be ready well as soon as they the lead two go into that tree i you know stand up trying to not pop creak on my stand because it's a hand-me-down everything oh, you yeah. know 12 years old i don't have money for gear yet and get drawn back and i'm pulling like way more than a 12 year old kid should pull I, I don't even know what that it was over 50 pounds i mean i was yanking like it was all i could do to pull it back mm-hmm. get it pulled back and that doe the lead doe sticks her head out from underneath that tree and looks right up at me and she's just giving me that death stare, like, mm-hmm. what are you and why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is not good. This is not good. And I'm holding it, holding it, holding it, holding it. Can't hold it any longer. And I've got a real good, and I don't recommend this at all, but I've got a real good sight picture of this much of her neck, you know, the top 10 inches of her neck to her head. <laughs> I was like, well, I've killed him right there with a rifle before. Let's see what, what happens. So I just put it right on her, right on her neck and just drill her right through the ear, like, through one ear out the other ear dope drops stone dead and i was like huh, this is bow hunting stuff it's easy <laughs> this is the easiest thing i've ever seen in my life so the question is was, were you aiming for the ear <laughs> well i was actually aiming lower than that yeah. and hit high and i'll tell you why i had one of those shoot they don't even i don't even think they make them anymore keller pendulum sights so there were a range finding, like old school technology of a range finding sight. You zeroed it in set on the ground at 20 yards. And then when you got up in the tree, the physics of it, you unscrewed it and it would swing on a pendulum. And based on the angle of your bow, it would, you didn't have to look at any pins. It was a single pin right. and it would just swing on its own. And so that thing was a tad off. It was shooting a tad high for whatever reason. I mean, it was a crazy bit of technology there anyways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was my first, my first archery cool. harvest as we uh as we close it out we're, we're getting into stories and everything i'm not going to tell one but i do i would be remiss if i didn't bring it up because you mentioned it ren fishing fly fishing yep. um I, I, I could open this whole okay. can of worms but a whole other podcast yeah i know it <laughs> but i want to ask a couple of questions yeah, yeah. you're good um, on time you, we're, we're you, in about our average spot good yep. do you still do you still fly fish not as much um you know when i lived up in boone or you know a little closer to the mountains i'd sneak away and do towards lindell mm-hmm. um but grew up going about every year i'd I fish several times up towards maggie valley waynesville area mm-hmm. um well if you don't do it as much now i was going to ask you know do you have i'll, I'll ask general yeah. questions i'll ask general questions where exactly do you fish yeah no <laughs> <laughs> generally give me the pins no um what flies if you had a box yeah and you had to have three flies that you fish with this year yeah. what are you taking okay so so i'm gonna caveat this with now archery I, i've got i typically get the newest setup mm-hmm. i've got you know i've got the tools if you will the new technology mm-hmm. fly fishing i grew up low tech i totally agree with this yeah I, I agree. so if you saw me walking up the, the creek to go fishing i typically three four miles and i start fishing up these creeks that's a good tip um you would probably go this guy just like is he camping up there because i'm mm-hmm. wearing like beat up khakis yeah. not even fishing boots mm-hmm. you know i've got a little we call them you know 
we call them brim busters, little telescoping cane pole. Mm-hmm. And I can get in there and flick the fly. Little Tankara rod. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. yep, exactly. Um, so I grew up climbing over rocks, busting them, but like a female Adam. You were Tankara before Tankara became Tankara. Yeah, this is back, you know, probably 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, they came up with a crazy cool name for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, should have made, should have. Yeah, I know, it, yeah. I know it, man. God. But, I, you know, it's. There's go-to ones. I'd say where I usually fly fish here in North Carolina, it's, you know, an Adam, mm-hmm. you know, variants of that is, is typically where I stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually bust my limit. So I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Adam's great. BWO right now, if you're heading out to the... You uh, you created a little beadhead uh, egg yeah. that I liked a whole uh-huh. bunch. See, my, my big thing, if you're nymphing, here's, here, I'll give my two cents. If you're nymphing... And you go to any store to buy flies, you're you're gonna get the flies do not have enough weight. Right. They don't. Weight matters more than the fly, I think, in a lot of situations. And if you're going and fishing stalkers, which is a heck of a lot of fun, get something flashy, you know, whatever. Get an egg pattern, get a squirmy worm, get something bright and flashy, and those fish are gonna be attracted to that. But you're messing up if you don't have the right amount of weight and you never are heavy enough. You're never heavy enough. If you're hooking the bottom, that's good. That means you're in the you're in the wheelhouse. A lot of people are throwing those flies in. They're going over the top of them, and you're not getting down deep enough. So I tied flies with Ben, the underscore, or the underscore drifter underscore life, our buddy Ben Fisher here in town, um, who got me into tying tungsten beadhead egg patterns with this um, material called ecstasy. And it's it's like yellow when you tie it on. You can get it in different colors. But when you put it in water, it turns translucent. It looks like a straight-up egg, and they are deadly. And uh, that's what I was fishing with this weekend on stalkers and just wear them out, you know. Really? But my tip would be, you know, if you're dry fly fishing, you're going up to little streams like you did growing up, yeah, get a little match the hatch or whatever, you know, get a BWO in March. And um, yellow and orange always seem to do really, really well. Stimulators and, yep. and elk air caddis and stuff, and that's a heck of a lot of fun. Maybe put a little dropper on there, you know, a little, yep. uh, little soft Dude, tackle. We're into some Hank a little Patter- soft tackle, but anyways. Get some Hank Patterson. Draw dropper, 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 hopper, <laughs> hopper, dropper, hopper. <laughs> anyways, um, most important thing for me, if you're going to a delayed harvest river, you're going somewhere nymphing, be cognizant of weight, get it down, put a boat anchor on there, and get it down deep because that's where the fish are. That's where the fish are. That's it. If you like the content and you'd like it to keep coming, you should still know that this podcast is just one of the tools that we use here at Three Rivers Land Trust to further our conservation mission. Our number one priority and purpose has always been to conserve land and natural resources for future generations and to be a voice for wildlife to ensure that they have habitats forever here in North Carolina. The podcast is just a byproduct to further that mission. Be a part of the team in the fight for the conservation mission. You should visit our website at www.threeriverslandtrust.org. So I just got off the phone with Shane Dublin of Rock Outdoors in Lexington, North Carolina, off of Highway 8. And first of all, he's just a super nice guy and a supporter of conservation locally. Secondly, their store, if you like this podcast, if you like the Central Piedmont, if you like the outdoors, you're going to like Rock Outdoors in Lexington. It is an unbelievable shop. They have fishing equipment. When I was on the phone with Shane, he was saying their fishing gear is just flying off the shelves. Their kayaks and their boats are, that business is doing great. 
And since we talk about camping so much on this on this show, and we talk about the gear that we like to use, he wanted us to let y'all know that their camping selection is, in my opinion and in his opinion, one of the best in the state. Um, let me just give you a list of some of the brands they have. MSR, Big Agnes, Eureka, Jetboil, Thermarest, GSI, Camp these are, Chef. These are all brands that you can't go to the big box store and pick up. Yeah. These are brands that true professionals are using. Mm-hmm. And with me and camping gear, camping gear and tools are the two things that I, I don't like ordering these. I like to go into a store like you're about that with shades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to try them on. I feel like I need to go mess with it and see if it's going to be what I need. See if it's intuitive and user-friendly and tough. And there's not many places you can go pick up an MSR water purifier or stove Mm -hmm. and see if it's going to be what you need. Yeah. If you are an outdoors person, this is the gear that you need. I need more of it. I'm going to go over there and get me some. So go check them out. Or a doomsday prepper. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff you're going to need. Yeah. I I mean, I agree. I'm going to use it. Rock Outdoors. Highway 8, Lexington, North Carolina, and their website is rockoutdoors.com. Go check them out.